Logical Progression, Year 3, Chapter 9, Lesson 7. Okay, Bismillah ar-Rahman ar-Rahim, alhamdulillah, rabbil alameen, wa la'aqibatul muttaqeen, wa la'adwana illa ala zalameen, wa salatullahi wa salam, wa la'ashraf al-mbiyai wa al-murasirin, Sayyidina Muhammad, wa ala alihi wa ashabihi ajma'in, assalamu alaykum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh. Okay, come on, let me just check this time. Um... If I ended the lesson now, yeah, that would be about as spectacular as Gerard's yeah, entrance into the game. <laughs> I'm so happy you're back. I'm so happy. I don't care if you don't come in the other weeks. But it was so important for you to be here this week. What happened, man? No idea, yeah? Liverpool, they choked. You see, South Africa, they pushed it off their shoulders, they put it onto Liverpool. <laughs> Liverpool choked hard, bro. They choked last year. And they had choked last year. They had the perennial chokers. I'm beginning to think it's Jerazi, not if they're. First, he cost him the time. Now, he cost him Europe. That's why he's leaving, yeah? They can't handle it. Please don't make me cast Liverpool anymore. What a great Sunday that was. Oh my goodness me. Got some other gold bobs. Yes, please. What a goal. That's what I'm talking about. Show some respect, boys. Okay. So, what's happening? What are we doing today? We're we doing some work today, yeah? Challa then. I don't feel like doing it today. It was a big news day, man. Jeremy Clarkson getting kicked out. Zayn Malik getting kicked out. Me being up for both positions. I've got to have a little think about it tonight. Which one, again, is going to do my reputation more? I'm thinking One Direction might be the one. But then, you know, Top Gear, and is probably the the more natural fit. <laughs> oh my goodness me. Right, what a week. What a week, Custom, what a week. I talked to your person, that was insane. I have like a pile of questions. Although it's not even possible to put in a bag. It's like a carrier bag full of questions. Carrier bag. I know the online was when I'm going to get around to that. I've got some Deadly Kufsian on my case as well. Gilligan, Telegraph. Zionist, this, that, whatever. I don't know where to look now. I don't know which one to go for. <laughs> I don't know which one to do. Whether <laughs> to deal with the football, deal with Clarkson, deal with Dad. Dad went on Facebook. <laughs> Dad, what the heck's all that about? I don't know what's happening, yeah? You went on I don't Facebook know. like two, three weeks ago. Did he? Send me a friend. Oh, shut up, Shaz. Like shut up, Shaz. Three weeks ago. Shut up. I'm not joking. Oh, my God. And you have you seen the picture? Nice shut up. Yeah. <laughs> Why is it that ago? I always find this because how later, bro? Oh my goodness. I don't know what's happening. Alhamdulillah, this is like a week, week off, alhamdulillah. A weekend off, I mean, so I'd be able to, you know, catch up with life. And then um, I have a few conferences and things like that. But anyway, I don't want to bore you with that kind of stuff. Let's have a look at what we're talking about. Um, so Bismillah. So actually, there's two things. There's two things. Uh, the first thing I wanted to talk about was something which I didn't mention a couple of lessons ago concerning the issue of the fetus and when life starts, etc., etc. And I'm, you know, because and I know everybody, by the way, especially online, everybody is waiting for the notes 
and there's been an uncontrollable situation with the notes. The transcription team have come across a difficulty with a number of matters and there is a delay on that and it will be and I'm not going to flap around it's going to be a delay for maybe another six weeks okay so I mean that's a, that's a lesson for everyone to make your own notes you know frankly or to watch the video yourself and so on uh, but when it comes to the official class notes then that's the case we do have a mock exam ready by the way what's happened to that Zafar? Ready? it's ready I, I approved it yeah? yeah I approved it weeks ago okay. so we would you know that's nice, by the way. It's a little, little test. And uh, it's nice on the new portal as well. So I think maybe maybe aim for next week, maybe, to, to just to you know release that. And then, of course, there'll be the final uh, test. And all the notes will be ready before then. That I can guarantee. But there is a delay on notes. So I know that talking about things back in the past can be a bit difficult to catch up with if you're using those notes alone. But if you're using your own notes, like you should be, then obviously you'll be on top of this matter. So there's a couple of things that you'll be on top of this matter or matter will be on top of everything else hmm. there's just so much scope for this you know that he's <laughs> just looking confused <laughs> you'll be on top of this matter or matter will be on top of everything else because there's one matter which cannot be disputed. <laughs> this is naturally coming he's by the way I can't move on you know one matter he's a gentleman you know that he's a gentleman of the game Seriously. You know when you saw him speaking, what like, you're like standing up and just applauding the guy. Yeah? He's got so much adab and so much thingy. You look at the other John Rodriani players around him, yeah? And he really, he really disgraces them, you know that? I feel upset about that. Anyway, back to the point. What was he talking about? Yeah. So, notes and stuff, whatever, blah, blah, blah. Oh yeah, we're talking about the, the, the issue here. So I wasn't quite sure um, about some of the things that I said. And I know that I, we kind of rushed it in the end. Because it was a heavy lesson, that it was a big heavy lesson. So I rushed a few things, and I wanted to give you um, an opinion, which I know that I kind of sided with the humbly position, um, and I talked about the forty-day uh, thing in contradistinction to one hundred and twenty days. What I wanted to say and add is that although I believe that the ruah is breathed in somewhere after forty, forty-one, forty-two days, six weeks, which is what the narrations talk about in contradistinction to 120 days so it's either these two kind of opinions that the ruh is, 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 is breathed in somewhere i.e. life technically starts there is a position which I'm very sympathetic to that life is determined practically by appearance and so when an embryo or a, a miscarriage occurs and there is, or, uh, there is something whether it is an abortion or a, a miscarriage or whether, whatever there is. And whatever comes out has human features, all right? <clears throat> As opposed to something which looks like chewed flesh or something which is not defined. So we're talking about, you know, the tiniest of tiniest of babies kind of thing, all right? Uh, in terms of structure, in terms of form, that is what life actually is. Before then, it's not to be considered as a life and the only function of that well depending upon what your opinion then would be with respect to washing janaza and criminal payments then you would apply your opinion so i'm just i'm just taking it back in terms of first of all do we determine this as a human because every crime or every ruling is based upon humanity yani not humanity uh, life 
life. Okay? And so if it's not human life, then nothing applies to it. Neither washing, neither ghusl, neither janazah. And that's if you follow that. I told you the majority don't. The Hamdi school does. It does consider an embryo um, after 120 days. Admittedly, it starts at 120 days, but it considers that to have now been a real life. It needs to be washed and needs to be buried in some kind of form. I have to, and I went along with that. I have to say that myself, I am actually technically, personally, of the opinion that the embryo, even full term, is not, is not uh, given a ghusl or given a janazah. If, if something is born, stillborn, whether whatever age it is, for me, it is just buried in a general way. It's not given a, 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 a kefen or the proper janazah burial. It's not given the ghusl. And this is a position which is tenable. There's no evidence actually to go against this. All the evidence for ghusl and janazah and so on and so forth are general evidences and not very strong specific evidence. So, and I, this isn't the chapter for this, but I just want to make that clear. There is that position. And the reason why I like this, and I think that you'd all probably be able to relate to this, is that who's going to be able to count days and things like that? You know, this kind of thing, you know, about, you know, when you go to a doctor and the doctor says that you will, you were, you know, you are pregnant on this day and you will deliver on this day. I mean, this is a scientific development. You know, you couldn't tell that from back in the day. Right? You'd say roughly, you'd say it was something like last month, and in about nine months' time, it's going to, you wouldn't be able to really accurately talk about days and so on and so forth. So I think this position where one looks at what is born and comes out and it has human features, then it's ruled upon according to its human features. If you're the humbly opinion, then you will do the ghusl and the janaz and everything. But if you're not of that opinion, like my own personal opinion, then one does not, one just then. Uh, uh, disposes quote-unquote of the body it wasn't alive in the first place it wasn't a life it is respectfully put away in the ground deep doesn't require anything else if one does it there's not a problem with that but there's no basis for it from a sharia point of view wallahu a'lam the more important aspect is crime is whether we can charge the mother or the doctor or the ex or the wife for a crime in terms of uh, blood money and that's a, that's a section which will come. It's a very detailed section. And most of the time, recognizing the embryo to be lifelike is the most important factor in saying, right now, you need to pay up uh, because, you know, there was an abortion, a forced abortion or whatever. So I just want to make that clear. Just add that to the generality. I know that's not going to, I know that's going to maybe cause a bit of confusion uh, because, but that's what happens when we take a subject before it's time. And that's why I kind of am loath to do that. So that's one thing. The second thing, just uh, the second thing that I wanted to go back to is the issue of al-aql. Yes, that's where, we were, that's where we were last time. By the way, just in case anyone kind of drops off by the end of the lesson, I want to make it clear that next week is the time change. Okay, next week is the time change. So on the 31st of March in the UK, the time goes back. And therefore, ah, I don't know. Okay, I don't know what forward, it means anyway. Forward. Going back or forward, it means nothing to me, right? Honestly, means nothing to me. Going back or forward, all I do is just say what time is it, and I just change it. That's it. So the twenty eighth, the twenty eighth of March. So I got all of that really good and accurate. That was, so it goes, 29th. it goes back on the thirty first. No, it actually goes forward on twenty eighth. Okay. Anyway, whatever. The point is, is that something happens to the clocks. And British summertime starts. Yes, got that part right, yeah? Okay, right. So, what time's India game on today then? 
Yeah, half twelve. Half three. But it, it says 2.30 GMT. It says 2.30 GMT. That's what confused me. I thought that, hold on, are we on BST then? 3.30 and brackets 2.30 GMT. Anyway, I don't know. So the point is, is that um, next week, so on the portal you'll see a section is called, in under resources, it's called schedule. So go to resources, click on schedule, and under schedule there is a part which actually mentions uh, uh, I don't know uh, the times for the next basically few lessons. What, what's, what's up, Shaz? Okay, so the uh, time for next week will be after Maghrib, and Maghrib next week is going to be 7:45 p.m. local time. Okay, and inshallah, we will we will set up the timer so that it's incorporated the hour change. So when you're logging on from abroad in the middle of the day, it will say the timer you know, the countdown to the actual lesson time. So, so you know, that will be covered, inshallah. That's the whole point we put that in, to, to cover for that confusion. But 7.45 local time is going to be Maghrib. And then you're looking at about 20 minutes after that, maybe 25 minutes, when the lesson will start. So it will be 10 past 8. Now, today it started at 8.25, okay? And so then it will be 10 past 8. So you can imagine it's going to be between Maghrib and Isha. And then we'll record Isha like we used to do back in the day with Sheikh Abdul Ghaffar. Now that time will continue to move every week for maybe three, four weeks, maybe something like that until it gets a bit late. And then we'll bring the lesson back to a fixed time so that the lesson ends with Maghrib. So that we'll bring it back an hour and then the lesson will then go until it finishes just at Salatul Maghrib. And then we record Salatul Maghrib. So that's the plan now. We're into that. So next week, time change. Lesson will start roughly 15 minutes earlier than what it lasted, started today. The exact times will be in the schedule, etc., etc. Okay. So last week, we were just talking about um, the fact that it is a recommended sunnah to make ghusl if one washes a dead body and one regains their intellect after losing their sanity and one regains their consciousness and they haven't had a wet dream during that period. Now, looking at that English, I definitely want to change it, okay? Uh, definitely want to change it. Because, actually, if you look at the, uh, uh, if you look at the uh, Arabic, uh, the word intellect is not even used. It actually says, and I said that, you know, you can say it both ways, yeah? and whoever washes a dead body. So, who comes back from Junoon and, or sorry, okay, so I've added all those words and now I really regret it, okay, because, so let, let, let me just talk about, I don't know what I mentioned last week, how much detail I went into last week, but, but I said that Junoon, did I say that Junoon and, and uh, Ighma are the loss of the Aql? Did I not say that? Anyone remember? I don't know what page it is. Oh, here it is, yeah. I'm sure that I said that Junoon is Zawal al-Aql and the epilepsy is from it. Okay? And Al-Ighma is Taghdiya. And again, it's a cover. Taghdiya al-Aql. Alright, so Junoon, the same in Urdu, what does Junoon mean? What does Junoon mean? Madness? 
Crazy? Is that what Junoon means? What does it mean? Madness. So, madness is that the loss of intellect or the loss of aql or the loss of senses or the loss of sanity. I want to change that to... I want to... First of all, aql is not used, but I want us to compute the word aql as senses. Okay? Not intellect. The word senses. Okay? Our ability to sense. That's the aql. Now... Uh, the sense. Yeah. Not just not just I'm not just talking about one I'm not just talking about a sense of you know I can sense something. I mean sense as in common sense. So what's the word sense? Sense in its general form. Sense does not just mean something which you you know, I'm sensitive to something and I sense something in the room because you hear something or smell something or whatever. That's what you'd use the word sense for. But also, when you say speak sense, man, it means be rational. He's not speaking sense. Not shu'ur. That's what I'm saying. It's not shu'ur. When you say speak sense, man, stop speaking nonsense. Yes? It means he doesn't know what he's talking about. He's babbling, talking rubbish. Yes? Whereas when you say speak sense, means get a grip of yourself. You know, a person's terrified. He's going, uh, uh, uh. You say speak sense. Or he's like, you know, blinded by love, whatever. Meaning, meaning, the aql is what obviously controls emotions, isn't it? Or emotional nonsense, all right? So, aql is a very big word, okay? And the aql goes when? When does the aql go? The aql goes when you're asleep. The aql goes when you faint. The aql goes when you lose consciousness, which is the same as fainting. And aql goes when you uh, have become insane. And epilepsy, they put in that same category of junoon. We were suffering last week, yeah, and that's why we're doing it this week. The one lesson, the one lesson that you could contribute to, yeah, right? And you just had to go on your jollies. <laughs> this spinal surgeon, what's spinal surgeon, what's spinal surgeon going to talk about? Yeah, when it comes to actually, the nerve is involved. Sah, sah. Below, below, below the brain, sah. In the spine. One time, you had one job. So, I don't know. So, what I want to say is that Junoon. Okay, Junoon certainly means, you know, crazy or mad, yeah? And the, the concept of crazy and mad and whatever is always linked to the one who does not have the ability to think and rationalize and be able to speak sense. So that makes sense to me, sense. All right, so, therefore, Junoon is a permanent loss of sense or ability to think properly or to be trusted or to be trusted to make a rational decision until they gain it again. So the epileptic during his epilepsy or the one who is I don't know and I think that the key is that therefore for the first category one does not need to lose consciousness okay whereas in Al-Ighma al is the one which the hadith comes on we actually don't have any narrations about Junoon we don't have narrations about the madness what we have are narrations about fainting alright the Prophet Sallallahu I told you about this last week, didn't I? Did I not? The death of the Prophet ﷺ? I said that's the evidence? Did I not mention that? I did, didn't I? Yeah. I said that when the Prophet ﷺ was in his... Yeah, of course I mentioned I said that high fever, high pain, it caused him to black out, basically. And that blackout was called Al-Ighma. Now, you're not going to say he went into a coma. You're not going to say that he lost his senses. You're not, he didn't go to sleep. So he fainted. That's the only way to translate al-ighma. And ighma, as I said, is like the gham. 
cover. Taghtiyat al-aql. Ighma means that when the aql has been covered. Yani, taghtiyah means when you put something on top of it. So it's like a temporary state. Just remove that and then the aql comes back. And then put it back on again and you've covered it. So you are in a, rep- you are in a state where you are not able to think. Now, the reason that I want to m- spend some time on this is actually because, if you think about it, um, I mean, I personally don't agree with this opinion. Okay, and that's the reason why I want to make a big thing out of it. This position is the position of the Hanbali school. That it is sunnah to make ghusl after you faint. And to make sun- and sunnah to make ghusl if you uh, become crazy or insane and you regain your sanity. And the evidence for both positions was the hadith that I quoted last week. And that hadith was the hadith of the Prophet's death. Before it, he fainted, he came back again, he fainted, he came back again. Each time he asked for water and he bathed. Okay? He bathed. In other narration, the water was poured over him. And Shaykh Uthameen then says right there, فَهَذَا دَلِيلٌ أَنَّهُ يُغْتَسَلُ لِلْإِغْمَاءِ وَلَيْسَ عَلَى سَبِيلِ الْوُجُوبِ لِأَنَّ فِعْلَهُ صلى الله عليه وسلم مجرد لا يدل على الوجوب. This is the evidence the Prophet, uh, Shaykh Uthameen said that one is to make ghusl after fainting. Not, bec- not because it's obligatory and it's not obligatory because the, an individual act of the Prophet صلى الله عليه وسلم does not establish obligation. So there's a principle that he's using there as well. We would say, with respect, that there are a couple of things that should be queried. The first point we would say is that if you actually study the death of the Prophet ﷺ carefully, there are other narrations that narrated in Sahih al-Bukhari where the Prophet ﷺ asked Aisha, and maybe more, to bring him water from various sources that had been untouched. Okay? from seven separate wells, and so on and so forth. And I remember one of my teachers telling me that whenever the word seven is mentioned in hadith, it always has a medicinal aspect. Okay? Uh, meaning there's some kind of indication of medicine or cure or shifa. Ya'ani, it is possible to say that the Prophet ﷺ wasn't actually even having a proper bath, a ghusl of the normative sense. And it could be argued that even the word فَغْتَسَلْ, he washed, doesn't mean that he made ghusl. However, there are narrations where his wife poured water over his head. So it's unlikely, and the mikhdab is a, like a bathtub, so it's unlikely that he didn't do the proper ghusl if it's in a bathtub and the water is being poured over his head. So therefore, it does seem like he did a ghusl, but what it doesn't look like is that it was some kind of normal ghusl that was for the fainting per se, but maybe because he thought maybe he had a condition, or maybe that he was trying to cure himself, whatever. It's just that this seven types of water it begs the question. So that's the first query that we would say. Is this really an, a sunnah act of the Prophet for the fainting, or was it something for himself because of the condition indicated by the, seven, the request of seven types of water? The second thing is, if... If, and this is where I want you to jump in, if it is sunnah, according to this hadith, to make ghusl if you faint, why not then make ghusl? And they're saying only recommended, of course. Then why not after you go to sleep? And when you wake up? And I can't think of a good answer to that. What's the difference between going to sleep and fainting? There's no difference at all. 
What about the actual physiological act that leads to fainting? That's a loss of oxygen, right? Fundamentally? What, what, what's the actual definition of fainting? Right. Okay. So it might be argued that sleep is none of those? Yes? Separate category. If it's argued, I would say that at that time they didn't have the ability to distinguish. Yes? Alright. And the only way we can is because we see blood pressure and we measure electric activity and we, we see a knock and etc, etc, etc. So I genuinely, I, I mean, Allahu A'lam, and the scholars did not go into too much detail, and to be honest, I'm surprised at that. They didn't really kind of say just, you know, why it is that sleep is, 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 is exempt from this. I think the reason they said that sleep is exempt is because they realize there's so much of a difficulty, right? And number two, that this narration they took in a very literal way that he was fainting and therefore he did the, the ghusl. He fainted, then he did a ghusl. So, you know what? It's a weak evidence, to be honest. I mean, you, we've all been up from sleep, so you're fainting, you're totally lost in trouble, there's no coming back. Yeah, but sleep is the same. Not really. No, I mean, bro, when I fall asleep, I'm gone, bro. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? I mean, I was, you know, I was discussing this with someone. If you fall asleep, yes, uh, they said that, you know, no, when you're, when you're fainted, you can't sense. Yes, you can. You'd smack him around, pour water, and he wakes up again, isn't it? it is, you know, and uh, it's the same with sleep. You would require. There's no difference. I mean, I mean, certainly, if if there was me, there's no, no difference between waking me up if I fainted or if I'm asleep. It'll be exactly the same. There's no, you know, my sleep is not lighter than fainting. Maybe you can. Do you dream when you're fainted? No. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I don't know. Well, there is a definite difference, though. Even though, like now we can talk about the scientific differences. Okay. You know when a person is fainted. Yes. Because it happened all of a sudden. Yeah. It's what about someone who's not collected? Yeah. Like myself. <laughs> You, you ask these boys, yeah? <laughs> these guys see narcolepsy from me on a weekly basis. You know what? You think it's... Except I think a lot of people are narcoleptic. I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. But you I mean, you're right. I mean, you know, a narcoleptic one doesn't suddenly, you know, just, you know, conk out. Uh, uh, there is like a... Yeah, and then he goes, isn't it? So you're right. You're right. Is there anything specifically with regards to this standard point of view on the death? It's mentioned as a minor death. Is not. Correct. The Prophet ﷺ said that it is Akhum Mot, the brother of death, sleep. Didn't say fainting or whatever. Anyway, I, I, I mean, I want to say that, first of all, to solve the questions that we had last week, Aqal is senses, that Junoon is the permanent loss of those senses. And so when you come back to your senses, the the, of the, the, the recommendation of making ghusl is similar to the recommendation or the obligation of what you feel for the new Muslim. Like you've come back into life almost. Yeah? I, 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 can, I, can, I, can, see, I can see that, that rational sense. 
However, none of the scholars made that rational argument for it. They used the evidence. And the evidence is this hadith. They said that if the Prophet ﷺ, he made ghusl after, after coming conscious again from fainting, then losing your aql permanently is even more so. So it doesn't have even a direct evidence. It's actually based upon a secondary evidence. Do you understand that? It's like an analogy that's being used. And you'll see that very, very clear in, in, in his statement. He said that, yeah, you know, it says, He goes, and therefore, if a person's going to have to actually uh, make ghusl for fainting, then, then, uh, then, then, then losing your mind completely is even more deserving because it's more severe. And if you follow that line, then that's right, okay? Because the aql, so you have your sense, and then you go sleep, so you've, or, or you faint, so you've lost your senses, and then you wake up. Remember, you're not held accountable when you don't have aql. If you do not have aql, you are not held accountable. That's why animals are, or whoever, the ghair aql, okay, is not held accountable. Anything which loses aql is not held accountable. When you go to sleep, you are not hold, held accountable. If you miss the prayer time whilst you try to go to wake up for the prayer, but you didn't, you have to pray when you wake up. When, um, but then even on that point, the scholars then, they said that a person who ha- has fainted or is in a coma for over a day, two days, three days, and they differed over themselves, they said that they didn't have to pray. They didn't have to pray for that entire time period. Because it's like the prayer was not even made obligatory upon them because they didn't have any access to their aql. It's like they weren't alive. And this is a position where the scholars differed. And you know in Fiqh Salah, I follow the position of the Hanafi school, which is that if it's less than five, it's less than a day, then you need to make up those prayers. Like if you fell out in the morning and you came around in the evening, you'd make up the prayers. But if you fell out in the morning and you came back the next day, 24 hours later the next day, that other day is gone like it's gone. It didn't exist. Because you were like in a comatose state or whatever. And the scholars, they had, I think Shibun Baz, I think said three days, maybe. I've forgotten now off the top of my head, I think. And they're, they're, they're making ishtihad. There's no evidence from the Sunnah Prophet. They're using like evidences here and there, indirects and so on. So I just want to make it clear that the aql here is sense. And I don't think it's very strong. The humblies consider it to be Sunnah. Personally, I don't think it's Sunnah in either of the two cases of either getting up from fainting. Or in ghusl. I'm happy to go with Sheikh Ruthaymin's position as a class position. That's what we should do. But personally speaking, I can't see a shred of evidence for making it a sunnah. I can't see a shred of evidence, yes. Anyway, um, just to understand a bit more about the aql. So you define aql as the loss of ability of reasoning, yes? Um, you know what? I found that when you define, in the game of defining, you have to put it through the scenarios. So let's go with the. Dif- what, what did you say? Losing the ability to reason. Okay, so let's go with that. Carry on. Okay. So that, that would bring in to play a lot of different conditions. So my traditional view of Janum, yes. or people who are mad crazy based psychosis, basically. Yes? Yeah. But then if you use the first definition, you bring into play epilepsy, confusional states, people with infections, um, people just basically lots of, other, lots of other conditions as well, which lower. The level of consciousness, not to the point where you faint, right? But the do lower your level of consciousness, right? So, 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 let me ask you a question. The definite statement of lowering the level of consciousness, um, I would put to you that the Sharia does not account for that, because, in as much of, is when you're very sleepy a lowered state of consciousness? Yes. Yet, is the prayer 
accepted if you pray while sleeping. Uh, sleepy. Yes. While sleepy. Yes. Is it light? No. It is a makru prayer. Okay. But is it accepted? Yes. How is it possible to accept the prayer? It must mean that the aql is a tam. The aql is there. But as you said, it's a lower level of consciousness. So that fact, from a fiqh point of view, uh, deals with all these other states and conditions and medical problems, whatever, because that would be a nightmare then to navigate. So we've got certainty on that. So now let's talk about madness in all of its political correct forms and whatever. What is it fundamentally? Is the ability to what? Is the lack of the uh, lack of ability to think? No, you can think, but it's like messed up. It's nonsense. Yeah, confused. Not have the ability to understand. So I think the word sense, I mean, classically the word intellect is used for aql, the one who loses his intellect. Now, I'm looking at this now, and I don't like this. So what would we change this number two and number three to then? If we say, afaqa min junoon, which afaq means to wake up from and to come back from madness. So how would you translate that? One who regains their senses after insanity? Lack of ability to reason, to... Yeah, What's the opposite of crazy? Same. What's the, uh, sane? Same, same. So that's so one regains. So what about saying? I, I, I mean, I was gonna write one regains their sanity after losing their sanity, but that's just you know. So what? So remember, 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 confused is not is not good enough for us. Confused, we're not talking about confused. Confused is like. Is like drowsy. Confused is like not being on it. If you're talking about someone who has no ability to make a decision, that's not confused. They have reduced ability, but that's not that's not what we're talking about. But you could have one regains their reasoning ability after losing it. For whatever reason. One gains one regains their reasoning or ability to reason after losing it. And you don't have to define where from it's multiple causes of losing it. Right. Intellect definitely the wrong word. Yeah, intellect's the wrong word. I'm glad that, that, that I don't like that word. One regains their faculties. Faculties is a too broad. Yeah, physical faculties of the body. Yeah, so one regains their senses. Why not senses? No, also not not enough. Okay then. So you want to go to reasoning? Yeah, one regains their ability to reason. Yeah. After losing it, huh? Someone write it down. Shaz, write it down in the thingy. One regains their. Say it again. Either reasoning ability or ability to reason. One regains their ability to reason after losing it. This is okay. Translated literally, the one who recovers from insanity. Okay, or from craziness. Is that? Yeah. Huh? Is that irrespective of conscious level? Is that? Yeah, I think I I I I think that's the key. I don't so think that it has anything. No, 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 not drowsy. Okay. So, 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 so that's irrespective, so that's independent of conscious, conscious level. I think so. There's no evidence, is there? A confused person, I mean, that depends on what we're doing. I mean, the confusion is such a, a, a broad word, isn't it? So we're saying confusion can't be Right, so, so, so there's another point here. This is. Zawal al-aqal. Let's use the, the ulama terms. 
Junoon Zawal Aql is the loss of reasoning, meaning it's gone, right? And the idea is that it goes completely and then it comes back by medicine or waking up or miracle, miracle, whatever, okay? And fainting is the covering of that. It is like confusion would fall more into the fainting category than in the Junoon one. Do you know what I'm saying? So let's deal with Junoon first. So that's clear, yes? All right? I don't, as you said, I don't think it's a condition that one has to go get unconscious. So consciousness, it sounds like... No, no, but let's leave three for a second. Okay. We're talking about two, all right? Which is the insanity one. I don't think that one needs to yeah. talk about going to sleep or anything. Like that. It can be when you're awake, all right? So that's good. Now number three, and there's no other qualification. So means to faint. Okay, and instead of that, I won't. I wrote one regains their consciousness. I mean, sorry. Oh, afaqa min That's what it means. One to regain their whatever after fainting. So, how would you do that? What would you say there? Are you regarding consciousness as a uh, all of No, no, no. I, again, I put consciousness in as a way of trying to differentiate between what happens when you faint. Awareness. 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 No, no, no. What happens when... What's the opposite of fainting? Waking. That's... Waking. What's nice is what's the opposite of a heart attack? Huh? <laughs> what's the opposite of a heart attack? Fainting is a condition. It's like the yeah. thing you don't have an opposite of a condition. I <sighs> to think about that one. <laughs> Isn't the opposite of a heart attack yani, to be normal? <laughs> to be heart, heart healthy? We don't really look at it that way. Huh? I mean, you know, what's the, what's the, what's the opposite of. Say it, Shaz. <laughs> Say it, Shaz. Having a brain tumor. Having no brain tumor. <laughs> <laughs> um, we're not talking about fainting itself, right? we're talking about the state that fainting leads to. Yeah. It leads to a state of unawareness. Yeah. So the opposite of that is a state of awareness. State of awareness, yeah? So then I think one regains their consciousness. I think it's fine then. Yeah, I think so. Yeah? yeah. One regains their consciousness. Okay. Yeah. Awareness would then kind of goes back towards two, doesn't it? And faculties, reason. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Awareness. Yeah. Whereas so, consciousness is uh, yeah. different. Okay, good. I think that's As long as you, listen, more importantly about this definition is that you understand where they found this point. The Prophet ﷺ, in his last days, the fever was so much that he kept losing consciousness. Like you would see all the time if a person was in hospital. Okay, and if the pain and temperature is not controlled, they lose consciousness. If you're on a battlefield, you're out there in an emergency scenario, trauma on the streets, person, they lose consciousness because of the pain and whatever. Now they do come round. Okay, and that's what we're talking about. That's the evidence base. Then they're making a ruling based upon that. They saw him and wash himself. So they said, anyone who goes through this process, they should wash themselves. So what is that process? He basically woke up from losing consciousness. So one regains their consciousness. Let's, let's keep it simple. So that's it. Uh-huh. Surely you're, you're sleep in that. How do you have a definition that includes faith and Well, this is where my point comes in, where I, I just don't think that the Prophet's act of washing himself was linked 
per se to him losing consciousness. Because he's maybe 120 degrees. Exactly, exactly. He's ill, cooling himself down, trying to cure himself. There's too many variables. And therefore, that's why I said my personal opinion is there's not sunnah to actually wash after waking up or regaining consciousness or becoming, uh, uh, you know, whatever, um, uh, coming back to sanity from insanity. And for that extent, and for that matter, we talked about the new Muslim as well. I also said the sunnah for that person as well, not an oblig- obligation unless he has to do something which is required. Yeah. So a new Muslim comes into this masjid, he takes shahada, then we'll say go make wudu, not go and make ghusl, you know, in the sink. Because that will be a mission, right? So, Sheikh Uthameen, he, Sheikh Uthameen says, no, he doesn't, for him there's nothing to resolve. He says that the text says he washed himself after he fainted. And therefore, we stick to the, the, the wording that indicates that it is something which is recommended. Also, you've got to understand that there are people, apparently, uh, and he mentions this, uh, he goes, the, 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 the fuqaha, uh, uh, someone said, Sheikh uh, 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 on the next page, he asked a question. He goes, is this legislated because of a religious reason? Or is this legislated because it strengthens the body? Okay? Now, first question is, is taking a shower after you faint something which is good for you? I don't know. He says, Sheikh Uthameen responded, responded, he goes, it's possible that it's for both reasons. Both re- the fuqaha, they said that it's for religious reasons. And that's why it's sunnah. As for, uh, uh, but it's possible that there's some medical benefit. So, I, I mean, you know, it's a humble position and there's not many uh, scholars that disagreed. There are some that, that, that you know, uh, said that it's not and that's the position I take. Yeah. When we look at the illness of the Prophet, so and we look at his in and out of consciousness. Yes. What does the fuqaha say about saying, uh, taking a legislative ruling based upon someone just coming out of that phase in that condition and then making that part of the sharia because obviously he was human. Well, we used, we, we, we used that principle before. First of all, taking away, you see, you see, you know when you start to use what you just said there, arguments of he was ill and he was this and it was blah, then this is very subjective. So they have to try and keep as objective as possible. And staying as objective as possible allows him to make the statement which he made before, which is a single act, a single act, not a statement. We had this debate in the beginning of year two, if you remember, what is stronger, the act of the Prophet or his uh, statement to do it, okay? To actually do something or to tell people to do something. And that's a big debate, all right? A single act of the Prophet always has the possibility that it's something personal for him, okay? Like, for example, you saw... Uh, Uncle Abdul Haq come up to me and he said an absolute classic absolute classic he goes I want to ask you a question I said okay so when he said what, you know when uncle says I want to ask you a question you know it's, it's, all, it's all going to pot yeah he goes did the Prophet wear a turban or a scarf on his head so I said he wore a turban and I don't think he wore a scarf on his head he said okay doesn't Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala It's the second question He said Doesn't Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala say In the Quran Obey Allah And obey his messenger I said yes He did say obey Allah And obey his messenger So he said okay I want to tell you something I said okay So he whispered He goes None of your students cover their heads <laughs> I said 
That's a good point. Then I called him back. I said, but their teacher covers this. <laughs> he goes, not good enough. He goes, tell them, please. I'll tell them. I'll tell them. So I'm telling you, okay? Cover your heads, all right? Okay. Okay. <laughs> well, two. Sheikh, Sheikh is not... Oh, Sheikh. sisters cover their heads. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> they, can, they can represent for us. Uncle Abdul Haq is not happy. And I don't like to make him unhappy. But that's another example, isn't it? The Prophet ﷺ, he did an action. Just an action does not mean anything. It could mean many, many things. Okay? So the action of the Prophet ﷺ wearing a turban, I do not know of any narration that he didn't. It's possible that he did. I'm sure that he did do. But him ﷺ, I'm not aware of too many authentic narrations where he didn't cover his head. However, that was also the way of his people. And that was in way of Abu Jahl and the worst of the Mushrikeen at that time. It was a dress of their people. We certainly, and this is obviously something which uh, it's not possible to kind of relate to someone like our uncle, but we do not have a single evidence authentic which recommends to cover their head whilst prayer. In fact, every single narration is fabricated or very, very weak that indicates that one should cover the head and pray. Okay, in terms of getting an extra reward from the prayer. In addition, the companions themselves did not copy the Prophet in this matter. In addition to that, we have a number of companions that would actually take off their turbans and put it in front of them and then pray and say, I did that just to show you that this is not the sunnah of the Prophet So this is very clear evidence from that point of view. However, however, it can be argued on the other side that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala does say that one should take every zina and the kula masjid. When you go to every masjid, you should complete your, your beauty. And the beauty of a person is cover. And cover is a principle which we all know via man or, or woman. Okay? This is obviously there's this kind of like pathological emphasis upon women that they should cover everything. But however, it's the same for men. Nobility in men has never come with uncovering, it's come with covering. And that's why I give the many examples that any form of royalty you will see not one, but two, but three, but four, and the sheepskin, and the X, and the Y, and ten people carrying it. Because the idea is cloth cover, honor, respect, and so on. This idea of, you know, sleeves up and everything is a disrespect. And that's a, in a universal principle. And so covering the head is seen as a good thing, not a bad thing. And some scholars actually said that it has now become so prominent with the Muslim identity that it's good to do so. So I think it's a good thing to wear something like that. But it's certainly not a sunnah of the Prophet I don't believe. Certainly not obligatory. But it just goes to show that an action of the Prophet by itself can have much behind it. It needs much explaining. So just the fact that he covered his head has now explained all of the following that I just discussed. Likewise, the fact that he washed himself وسلم, in this manner when he was sick, it does not show that this is a sunnah and no one claims it to be a very strong kind of uh, sunnah. He didn't say it at any other time, didn't indicate it at any other time. He's never mentioned anything at any other time. So why would we consider it to be something like that? That we should, at best, we say it's a sunnah to follow him. You are, you try to do that with the intention, you get the reward. However, if, as we just said earlier on, we start to consider the fact that he was ill and so on and so forth, then you start to follow my opinion, which is actually this is not legislated at all, frankly, and that's my position. Allah knows best. But then there's a very important statement, and they haven't had a wet dream during that period. Okay, all right. This is the word bila hulmin sunnah al bila inzal. If there's a wet dream, if there's any ejaculation, then we're going to cover that, okay? So it doesn't matter whether they were crazy, whether they lost consciousness, whether they went to sleep. If there's any ejaculation, then of course, of course, of course, of course, the the the, the becomes obligatory, okay? Obligatory. All right. Now, next page, has. We start now a big section, which is the uh, the 
al ghusl al kamil alright a complete ghusl so in the arabic want to do a little uh, thing image on that for me uh, yeah, yes i can just put it in, into the middle for he says no just take it back shas come on no just take it back okay wal ghusl al kamil أن ينوي ثم يسمي ويغسل يديه ثلاثا وما لوثا ويتوضأ ويحثي على رأسه ثلاثا ترويه ويعم بدنه غسلا ثلاثا ويدلكه ويتيامن ويغسل قدميه مكانا آخر The translation of a complete غسل الغسل الكامل comprises of the following nine things one, making the intention. Two, saying Bismillah. Then, saying Bismillah. Three, washing the hands three times, as well as other impure parts. Uh, four, then making wudu. Five, then pouring water over the head three times, ensuring it wets right through. Six, then pouring water over the body completely three times. Seven, rubbing clean the entire body. Rubbing, delk means like massaging, any physical kind of thing. Number eight, starting on the right-hand side first each time, everywhere. Number nine, washing the feet in a different place. Different place to where you've been washing so far is the intended meaning behind that. So this is a very uh, important uh, chapter, a very important section, sorry. And it's basically going to describe the full, complete way of making ghusl. Now I want you to know that al-ghusl al-kamil is a phrase, the complete ghusl, which is basically combining every act, the sunnah acts and the obligatory acts. And it's one of the skillful ways of presenting a lesson by covering these things first and then uh, the, the complete. You know, there's two approaches. You know, if you're teaching something, you either teach the complete version first and then you go and teach the obligatory aspects afterwards. Yes? And the, one of the advantages of that is that you don't need to repeat yourself too much. Okay, you just go and cover everything in detail and then just make reference to a few points and it's smaller. And the other advantage, of course, is that you put it into the hearts and minds of the people. This is really the kind of the stated aim. Then you've got the other uh, approach, which is that you do the obligatory aspects first and then you then do, but the complete version is X. That's the approach that I tend to uh, utilize myself when I'm teaching, especially fiqh salah, for example. But there's a reason for that. Or maybe I've justified to myself there's a reason. I mean, I don't know whether it's the, the best reason or not. And that is that I think that people today don't actually have the problem of knowing what the uh, whole prayer is. I think everyone prays with everything like the same. They treat every aspect the same. They treat the hat as important as the surah, uh, as important as the finger, whatever. So the prayer for me is a very classic example where people have no idea what the obligatory aspects are, what the pillars are, what the conditions are. So my aim to teach people is to be able to show them the very essential parts first so they get it into their mind that this actual act of prayer is a very simple one and then we will dress it up in a way. Mine is more an educationalist kind of way. Maybe it's not the best in terms of practice. Allah knows best. Anyway, it's two acceptable methods. So Al-Ghusl Kamil is going to be combining then all of those things. And then Shaykh Uthameen, he, there, he therefore then says that the, 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 the principle that one keeps in mind that um, 
Al-Ijza' because the next ghusl that we're going to cover is the Mujza' ghusl, the sufficient ghusl, the minimum ghusl. He goes that the minimum will only encompass the obligatory aspects. وَمَشْتَمَلْ عَلَى الْوَجُوبِ الْوَاجِبِ وَالْمَسْنُونِ Whereas those things which contain both obligatory and sunnah aspects, that is the kamal. Alright, starts off with the intention. We've covered the intention before. Very quickly then, to make the intention is to have a very clear determination about what you're about to do. The niyyah in linguistic sense is al-qasd, to have an objective, to intend something. So, what does it technically mean? What's the technical definition of making a niyyah? Filistilah. You know this word, al-istilah, is very important. Al-istilah means the technical meaning. Uh, the technical meaning. Al-ma'na al-istilahi means the technical meaning. It is azm al-qalb ala fi'l shay azman jaziman. Sawa'un kana ibadatun aw mu'amilatun am a'adatun. It is the determined, it is the determination of the heart to do something with absolute certainty. The ter- determination of the heart to do something absolutely cert- absolutely definitely or certainly. Regardless of whether it's an act of worship or a social transaction or a social custom. Regardless of whether it's an act of worship or a social transaction, meaning between two people. Yes, a social transaction with others. Maybe with others, to add with others is good. A social transaction with others or a personal custom or social custom. Okay, so it doesn't matter actually what it is, but that's what the niya is. The place of the niya is where? Tongue or the heart? The heart. There is no basis for making any kind of niya upon the tongue. And some people say, as Sheikh Thameen says on the top of 357, he says, why don't we just say, verbalize, actualize what's in our hearts to make it you know, clear? And you know, you know, Pax are absolutely obsessed with this whole kind of uh, niya thing. And they do it in their prayer all the time and all that kind of stuff. You know, I'm... You know, all that kind of stuff, yeah? And of course, there's no evidence for that whatsoever. And a person does not have any verbal intention before the prayer. They just stand there. They know in the heart. I'm about to pray Isha behind this Imam. If you're thinking that you're praying Fajr behind this Imam, you've got other problems bigger than worrying about your niya and what you're saying. So, um, that's, it needs to be that relaxed kind of approach, not from having to worry about saying it on your tongue. But certainly in your heart, you need to know that it is, uh, you have clarity. If they say, why don't you actually say it? So what's wrong with it? Okay. Um, you know, so that you can combine the two. So the sheikh says the answer is because it's against the sunnah. And then if they say, no, the Prophet ﷺ never prohibited it. Then we will say two things. This is nice what Sheikh Uthimiya says. Because this is the kind of question you might get when you're dealing with normal people in your workplace, in your school, college. Simple kind of things. If we say to someone that, you know, you shouldn't do that, that's against the sunnah. They say, but he never prohibited it. Okay? So what would you say? So the first thing that you would say is, the Prophet ﷺ said, مَنْ أَحْدَثْ That whoever introduces any matter into our affair, into this religion of ours, that's not from it, then it will be rejected. So anything new which is brought into this religion that's not already there, then it is rejected. This is hadith, of course, which is uh, Sahih Bukhari a Muslim. This is very clear. And then, that's the first reason. The second reason is awesome. It's a very important principle that you need to memorize for all of your aspects. Okay? Anything 
anything, for which the reason for it to have happened existed at the time of the Prophet and he never did it, indicates it is not a sunnah. So, for him to use a phone or not a phone is not an issue because the reason to use a phone didn't exist at his time. So this would not therefore come into the issue of ibadah. However, if it came to the issue of the hat, or it came into the issue of uh, saying the niyyah, could he have said the niyyah to pray? Of course he could have. He prayed enough, and he was listened to enough. And they memorized from him everything that he uttered. That which he was saying consciously, and when he was maybe not even aware, Allahu A'lam, they recorded everything from him. And so he could have said it, and it's not there. And so therefore, if it's not there, then this is not something which he forgot, but something which has been left out. Therefore, it is not a sunnah. When Nabi was always making intention for the different acts of worship that he was doing, he's the one who told us that every action is by intention. So clearly he was making intention whilst he was doing so many ibadat. And he didn't. He never, ever verbally, verbally articulated an, an intention. So, So therefore, if the possibility of something existed and he did not do it and he left it, then to leave it, it is sunnah. To leave it, it becomes the sunnah. And then to go against it would actually be the khilaf sunnah. Okay? To then actually say, no, you make the intention, that will be going against the sunnah of the Prophet ﷺ. And that's very, very good. And then Shaykh Uthameen says, it's for, this, for, it's for these reasons that it is not sunnah to articulate the niyyah, neither silently, neither aloud. In contradistinction to those that actually said, because some of them did say, you do make the intention silently. He also said, And they also said, some of them, that you know, you do actually say aloud. Aniyyah. And Shaykh Uthameen says both of these uh, positions have no basis whatsoever in any kind of way. In regardless to that though, the niyyah of course is a condition in every act of worship because the Prophet ﷺ said, That indeed every single action is based upon its intention and every single person shall get what they intended. Hadith Sahih. And there are two types of niyyah, okay? There's the niyyah of the action and there's the niyyah for who it's for. Okay? The niyyah for who the action's for. So, this is, uh, 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 the, the fuqaha said about the first niyyah, niyyatul amal. Okay? That, وَيَتَكَلْمَ عَلَيْهِ وَعَلَيْهَا الْفُقَهَ رَحْمُ اللَّهِ أَنَّهَا هِيَا الْمُصَحِحَةَ الْمُصَحِحَةَ لِلْعَمَلِ This niyyah corrects the action. So when you say that I'm making ghusl, Okay, the classic example is actually ghusl is a really good example because you can make ghusl for a number of reasons. It's a hot day, just need to cool down. I'm very dirty, I need to clean myself, and I have a janaba, I need to purify myself. i coming up from menstruation, need to clear myself. I'm coming out from postpartum, uh, nifas, need to uh, purify myself, etc. etc. Five different reasons that you could have the ghusl. It's the niyyah that will correct the action that you intended. If you just stand underneath the water, you will not lift. You can wash and clean yourself after you've been menstruating and you can be cleaning yourself. But if you don't have the intention for it, you have not lifted your spiritual state of hadith. That's very important. So the first niyyah, niyyah to the amal, it corrects the action. 
The second niya is al-ma'mul lahu. The niyatul ma'mul lahu. Niyatul ma'mul lahu. The niya for who the action is for. So you might be doing the washing to impress your husband, impress the family, or whatever. The action will be rejected. This niya has to be for the sake of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Meaning, the niya is that I'm doing this in response to your command to purify. I'm doing this so that it is taqarrub ilallah. Now I get closer to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala through the act of ibadah. There are some scholars that said, okay, and actually what, I'll tell you what's very interesting. Shaykh Uthameen says that the fuqaha dealt with the first one, Ahlul Tawheed dealt with the second one. So it's the, the scholars of theology and the scholars, the scholars of the spiritual kind of side of the deen that spoke about the, the importance of keeping Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala uh, in that sincere kind of intention. He says, in the, in the, in, uh, he goes that um, when a person wants to make ghusl, then this would then be the idea of action. However, if a person... Uh, uh, anyway, I'm just going to sum up and he gives some advice, which is really good. He says that there's a lot of focus from ourselves on the, on the, on the niya of the action itself and not so much on who it's for. And, and um, it's an understand. And he says, he, and he makes really good points, subhanAllah. He says, you know, the second niya about who it's for, we very rarely articulate it in our minds and our hearts. In actual fact, when we go in to make that ghusl, we have this kind of feeling that we're being forced to. Alright? That we're being forced to. That we're not doing it for the sake of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. We're not having the second niya at all. That first niya is that we're making ghusl for hayyab. We're making ghusl for janaba. We're making ghusl for juma'ah. We're making ghusl for eid. Whatever the ghusl reason is. But it's like we're being forced to. It's not a case of I'm making ghusl for juma'ah. And I'm doing it to be rewarded by Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Ataqarrub. To get close to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And Shaykh Uthameen says he goes that. We have to be more aware on this second. And this is the last statement. Okay. Um, we have to be aware when we make this ghusl that we want to do it to please Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. He says, if you look at the Quran, whenever Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala mentions action in the Quran, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says in Surah Al-Ra'ad, seeking, yearning, is yearning, you know, really, really looking to uh, seek the face of their Lord. You need to please him. And that's Surah Ra'ad verse 22. You all know this, Surah Al-Layl. Except those who, they do it only to seek the face of their Lord, the Most High. To seek the face, this is a phrase which is to seek the pleasure of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Those who, and Allah is praising those who do action and those who are patient, seeking the face of their Lord. Surah Al-Ra'ad, again, verse 22. Surah Al-Hashr, verse 8. What are they doing when they act? They are seeking the excellence or the, 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 the glory of their Lord and His happiness. And so this aspect is missing in our niyyah. So that's the, the, the benefit of this lesson, I think. That's the take-home lesson. That there's two niyyah that should be there before every act of worship. You might be tired. You might be kind of very much in the zone and not really kind of uh, you know thinking about it. And you only think about the action. 
But don't forget that you think about who you're doing it for. I'm standing here and I'm doing this action for you, Ya Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. I'm doing it because of Jum'ah. I just had a shower in the morning. I just had a shower in the morning. But I'm now having this shower for Jum'ah as a sunnah of the Prophet sallallahu as a way. Eid, I had a shower a couple of hours ago, but I'm doing it because this is the sunnah of the Prophet Likewise, you, you want to, you know, you have that uh, feeling that, that's, yeah, we talked about that in wudu as well. You know, when you're making a wudu, think about yani, what you're doing. When you're, or, you know, just yani, sticking your arms and legs underneath it. Or like Shazad does, which is to put his foot in this uh, new uh, thing. To say it, Shaz, tell us the name. Tell us the name, Shaz. Man up and tell us the name. The foot washer? Yes. That's what it's called. No, it's not. There's a name for it. Bold foot washer. See how you know the name? <laughs> He sent me the link. I looked at it. I said, Shaz, what's this? what's this? And I played the thing. It's this little thing. It's like this big. It's made for wudu. You put your foot in it, basically. Yeah. And it just washes your foot. <laughs> and in Arabic, it says, Likibaru sin. For the elderly only. Shaz goes, yeah, you know, we're gone now. Anyway, khalas, yeah, so we're finished now. I said to him, at least you can use two hands to lift your foot up to the sink, yeah? Like that, and wash it. If that's going to give you a heart attack, then okay. <laughs> she has ordered me one, yeah? That's what I asked. I should have actually just given to you as a this gift. Just gives a gift. <laughs> you see? Those days are gone, yeah? No one gives any gifts anymore. People always asking. That, when, when I saw that, I thought of you. Allah, Allah, <laughs> Okay, I think that's enough for today, inshallah, no problem. Let's do some questions, inshallah. Yes. We'll come to that. That's going to come later, inshallah. Also, secondly, I think that the fact that we fall into a habit is what messes up our niya, uh, uh, our niya of al-ma'mul lahu, the, the, the action of who we're doing it for. That's what habitualness messes up. But obviously, there's a risk uh, in the first type of niya from habitualism as well. For example, if you shower twice a day or once a day, okay, which is far too much showering, frankly, okay? I've told you that all his life, he showers like that. How many times a day? Twice a day. Huh? Old man, now I've calmed it down now. Yeah, I'm telling you, man, it's bad. It's bad for his skin, it's bad for his hair, bad for everything, okay? Back in our day, we used to shower once a month. That's enough, yeah? <laughs> yeah? So... I shake hands. What did you say, Allah? He was traumatized from his birth. <laughs> <laughs> Don't make us make you laugh, man. I spent all day making people laugh. Allah, I love making people laugh. But not too much bestie, you know what I'm saying? There's got to be a level of the bestie, and there's got to be a set amount, yeah? So, I think the point is, is because people wash themselves so regularly in our time, because, you know, this, the importance of covering this in a lesson like this, with a teacher, is that there's virtually no connection between the sunnah of and what we do today. That's why you have to cover it with a teacher, to transfer the sunnah to a modern day shower. Do you understand? Because I told you that ghusl, this ghusl is done with four of these. You know what I'm saying? So good luck to you, Annie. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> yeah? So, you know. Uh, uh, yeah, so the, the intention, when you're doing an act so often, 
you can just walk into the shower. You might be thinking about it, you know, beforehand, and you think, all oh, right, okay. And then, you know, half an hour later, 15 minutes, you walk into the shower, and automatic turns on again. That's it. You're in the shower, you turn it on, you know, you're away. You just reach out to, you know, you reach out, you do your wudu, you do your this, you do your that, you're just on autopilot. And that's the big danger. It's a massive danger. And I spoke about this a lot in the last couple of years, and I repeat again today, and I repeat again next week. Really important before you turn the water on to stop and say to yourself, what am I doing here? Really important. You will catch yourself out many times. Guaranteed. Guaranteed. Yes, more questions. Yes. Uh, remember that Sheikh said in Fiqh of Salah that if you're in a comatose state, fainted, and you come around in less than three days and you make up those prayers, not if more than three days. Yes, those good. Zakamullah Khair, whoever just said that. That is the position of Sheikh Abdul Aziz bin Baz, alayhi rahmatullah. And I think I also mentioned in the lesson at that time that there's no real evidence for his statement. He said three days, but there's no real qatar evidence. Actually, there's no evidence for any of them. Even the position on five, five prayers, the Hanafi position, is based upon like a day and a night. And, you know, it's not based upon yani, ishtihad. These are all ishtihad matters. So you'd pick your scholar and you'd follow it. So Ibn Baz said that less than three days you make up more than three days. Basically, what he's saying is that after three days, you're really like you don't exist. You know what I'm saying? That's the kind of argument he's making. He goes, we're a day. That's like a long sleep, isn't it, really? <laughs> it is now for us. We're old, yeah, I'm telling you, man. We need that behavior. What is the ruling on the suffering? What is the ruling on those suffering? What is the ruling on those suffering from delusions or paranoia? E.g. people are following him, hearing voices, but is otherwise rational and can articulate speech. Follow directions, etc. Yeah, everything is obligatory upon that person. Everything, everything. And that's it, yeah. Exactly. Okay. Thank you very much. Mm-hmm. Yes. Well, we're talking about the issue of verbalizing the Nia. Yes. You can support by where um, in acts of worship, something's on the registry to be proven. Yes, no doubt. Because because Nia is an act of worship, <laughs> and when you make it, you're making it with the intention for an act of worship. They're making the intention for the, the intention. Of it being an act of worship. Absolutely, because it's not about sunnah haram. It's about anything that you expect reward for. So we expect reward for leaving haram. We expect reward for doing halal. We expect reward for doing sunnah. We expect reward for doing obligation. So anything that you do expecting a reward automatically makes it an act of worship. And so therefore when you add it to that act of worship, it has to be established. The principle is everything is impermissible until something is allowed. There's no doubt about that. But the way that Sheikh Uthami mentioned it is much more simpler kind of, you know, kind of like a rational way. Someone's having a discussion nicely, taking through the kind of process, which I liked it. Mm-hmm. Oh, yes, yes. Uh, um, everyone, actually, around the country in the UK, um, uh, don't forget next weekend, not this weekend, next weekend, Easter Bank Holiday weekend, uh, in Birmingham, and then in London, and then Friday, no, sorry, in Manchester on Friday the 3rd and then in London on Saturday the 4th and then in Birmingham at the Rec Centre on Sunday the 5th. So that's Sheridan Suite on Friday straight after Jumaa and then there's the evening uh, due there as well and then Saturday at the Friends House and then the due there as well. That's daytime and evening and Birmingham the Rec Centre daytime evening We've got a lot to present. I have a lot of important stuff to present. We've been preparing it for a long time. And Sheikh Yasser Qadi also spoke to him this morning. Got a lot of stuff he's presenting. Owen Jones will be there. A number of journalists, a number of politicians. Zahir Mahmoud will be there. Sufyan uh, Ismail will be there. 
So these are will be, uh, I think, an important conference. I committed to three. I haven't done that for quite a while long. Yeah. So, but it's important, inshallah. And um, you can get your tickets here for those who are here, and those who are online, then you can still get the cheap price. It's only five pound, which is I think is a bargain these days. All right. But anyway, I'd pay fifty quid for myself to be honest. Yeah. Forty quid. All right. Okay. So really? That's a generous donation oh, for going. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> Not for myself. I'm it's saying good, yeah. if I was going to see myself, I'd pay forty quid. Not pay you forty quid to come <laughs> and see me. You pack. <laughs> Unbelievable. Forty quid. Shut up. What's so? No. Four quid. Yeah. <laughs> so I'm old man now. So I'm gone in this state. So Not in this state. <laughs> well, like, right. So, well, so, not in this state. I mean, was it? So, you're right. I got it. I got it. I got it. Yeah, yeah. I got to hook something up, man. If I get myself in a bit of shape, get a bit of black guy going down and this and that, and put a wig on. Yeah, and you, you know, might be able to charge 10, 20 quid then. I don't know. You sold yourself cheap, man. Sold myself cheap. Well, I sold myself cheap. Easter weekend. That's as well. the Easter weekend as well. Honestly. Okay. Just anyway. So uh, that's uh, go to mend.org.uk. I think slash conferences. Yes. Something like that. Okay. And uh, just make, let's make sure that the thingy. But I, but I think this week you need to hook it up because next week it'll be probably gone at bottom. Yeah. Uh, what is the wording of salah of the person that comes out of Janoon, wants on medication, but back to insanity? That comes out of Janoon, wants on medication, but back to insanity. I don't know. I, I, don't, I don't know what the question means to be honest. Medication takes them away from Janoon when they're not on medication there. I see, I see. If that's the if that's the point that whilst taking medication they remain sane, if they stop medication they lose their sanity, then of course it's obligatory upon them to take the medication, number one. Number two, when they're upon the medication, they have to pray, fast, everything else. And that's it. Zakumullah khair. Subhanakallah Muhammad Kashallah. Eight fifteen. Oh uh eight yes, eight fifteen or eight twenty eight ten past eight fifteen, whatever. Um uh, online, as I said, I don't want anyone collecting, but we're collecting for that uh, thingy. Today's the last day, I think. I've left the th- envelope at home. Some people gave me some money in London, actually. And so I bought that. Okay, is that what you're saying? Yeah? Okay, good. Uh, just uh, pass it forward. Okay, that's it. Thank you. It's